Well, hello, friends. You're listening to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. I'm Chris, the Communications Director here at Cap City, and I'm so glad that you're listening in. In fact, I would love to chat with you. So send me an email at hello at capitalcitychristian.org. Today is the last week of this Jonah series that we've been in for about nine weeks. And what's crazy is that the book of Jonah is only about four chapters, and that just goes to show you how packed full of truth this little book really is. Here's a short recap on where we've been. Jonah is a prophet of God, someone who's supposed to share God's truth. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach to the crazy, brutal Assyrians. Jonah is obviously scared of this and decides to get on a ship and sail in the exact opposite direction from Nineveh. God then sends a storm to make Jonah turn around, and instead, Jonah decides to just be thrown overboard. So God sends a fish to swallow Jonah up, and while in the belly of that fish, Jonah has a change of heart and prays for grace. The fish then spits Jonah back up, and he goes to Nineveh and preaches, and everybody there listens to him. It sounds like the perfect way to end the story, but it's actually not over. Let's pick up with this final piece of the story that we're calling Heart Storms with our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. Have you ever prayed really hard and then been disappointed because you didn't get what you asked for? Now, if you're a Cincinnati Bengals fan or a Cleveland Browns fan, I think you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. But more seriously, have you ever been disappointed with God? Or maybe it actually escalated from disappointment to anger. You ever been angry with God? God, what are you doing? God, I begged you to fix my marriage, fix my kid, fix my body, fix my job. And you didn't. And sometimes that disappointment with God or that anger with God is even enough to kind of be done with him, to push him away for at least a while. God, you're doing it wrong. My kind of God would listen. I can't honor a God who would allow something like that to happen. Now, I suspect a whole lot of prayers have been going up to God during this lockdown. In fact, we called for a time of fasting and prayer this last week, and I suspect, I suspect that a lot of what some people prayed for isn't happening the way we asked for it to happen. Maybe that's because we tend to ask God to align with our wishes rather than using prayer to align ourselves with His. Anyway, I, I suspect a whole lot of us kind of wish God would listen more attentively at times because we've got a whole lot of advice for him, right? I mean, if I were God, if I were as good and powerful as we think he is, I'd stop this thing, right? At least I'd protect my own or at least we'd nudge the decision makers so that the cure doesn't get worse than the disease. You see, one of the foolish propensities that we struggle with is that we want a God in our image, rather than trying out a little humility. We want uh, a God in our image rather than trusting that he's better and wiser than we are and infinitely powerful. Trusting him even when we don't understand him yet, even when we don't agree with him yet. You see, we have a terrible time letting God be God. By the way, this is just a warning. Anytime, anytime we try to recast God into our image, that's called idolatry. See, idolatry describes our knack for creating our own God and putting anything that's not the real God in his place. 
Okay, guys, let's dive back into the Jonah story. We're getting pretty close to the end. We're going to actually wrap up the story itself this week. Even though next week, Easter, we're going to explore what Jesus calls the sign of Jonah, one of the greatest proofs that Jesus really is our Savior and our Lord. Anyway, if you've been hanging with us the last few weeks, you'll remember that this prophet of God, this Jonah, well, he and God are simply not on the same page. Jonah's like, God, you're not doing it right. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach to an incredibly cruel, incredibly evil arch enemy of Israel. And Jonah says, there's no way. Number one, they're going to kill me. Number two, they don't deserve a second chance from you, God. They deserve hell. So Jonah runs. He hops on a boat and heads the opposite way from Nineveh. God sends this storm to stop the boat. Sailors throw Jonah overboard and God sends this supernatural fish to swallow Jonah. See, God was kind of giving Jonah a time out to reconsider his options, which Jonah does. So this time he actually goes to Nineveh and he preaches. He says, you guys have 40 days and in 40 days, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to repent or you're going to die. And incredibly, unbelievably, even miraculously, they repent. These were the worst guys in that world and all of them, it says, all of them from the king down all the way down to the bottom, all of them repented. Sackcloth, ashes, fasting, prayer, life change, at least for a while. And here's how God responds. It says, when God saw what they had done and how they'd put a stop to their evil ways, it says he changed his mind and he didn't carry out the destruction that he had threatened. And guys, if the story had ended right there, be a great story, but it didn't. Now listen, guys, it's crazy what the Ninevites did, how they responded. They repented, and it's crazy that God responded like he did. He gave the worst people in the world a second chance, grace. And maybe the craziest of all was how Jonah responded, which is what chapter 4 of Jonah is all about. Now guys, think about it. If you're a preacher and you preach the greatest sermon ever, I mean, I've been preacher here at Capital City for 25 years this June, and I know I rarely hit home runs, but I work hard on the sermons, and we have bucked the trends. We've over tripled in size over these past 25 years. But guys, I have never, ever, ever preached a sermon that evoked a response like this one. Billy Graham never, ever preached a sermon that evoked a response like this one. All of them, it says, all of them repented. And God changed his mind, spared the Ninevites. How incredible is that? Now, guys, if I was the preacher, I'd be pumped. I mean, I already struggle with pride, but this would have exploded my pride meter. I would have had some repenting to do. But here's what Jonah does. Chapter 4, verse 1. To Jonah, this God-sparing Nineveh seemed wrong, and he became angry, and he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I mean, I knew, God, that you're gracious and compassionate, it. I knew that you were slow to anger and abounding in law, love, a God who relents from sending calamity. 
Now, Lord, take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Holy cow. In fact, guys, it's even stronger in the Hebrew. Verse 1, more literally. But to Jonah, what God did seemed a great evil. This is evil, God. What you're doing is evil, God. This is not what a good God, a just God, a holy God would do, God. Now, I suspect you've been there, although perhaps never so openly. You're doing it wrong, God. I can't honor a God who would do something like this. I won't believe in a God. I won't trust a God. I won't follow a God who won't play by my rules. Now, why? Why did Jonah respond like this? Was it just that he was incredibly petty, horribly hateful? God, I hate those guys so much that the very idea that they might repent is repulsive to me. There's no I sorry that's, that's allowable for who they are and what they've done. I hope they burn in hell forever. You see, I think Jonah's issues with God ran deep. Jonah was an Israelite. Jonah loved his country more than he loved his God, kind of like a lot of Americans. See, the Israelites were supposed to be God's chosen people. They were the chosen ones. They were the ones with a covenant with God, and God was supposed to side with his, his chosen ones. He was supposed to protect his chosen ones, not their enemies. And the Ninevites were their enemies, incredibly cruel, pagan, idolatrous, hate, hated, almost inhuman. In Jonah's eyes, they no longer bore the image of God. Jonah no longer see them as lost people needing rescue. He saw them as rabid dogs needing extermination. But maybe Jonah's issues with God ran even deeper than that. You see, Jonah had some core beliefs. He had some foundational beliefs, and he actually thought God was doing it wrong. And some of the beliefs that he had, I suspect a whole lot of us share. You see, Jonah believed that, that evil should be punished. You buy that? I mean, if there really is a God, if there really is a right and wrong, then evil should be punished. In fact, Jonah believed that some evil deserves punishment even if the sinner repents. You buy that? Have you ever been hurt by somebody so badly that it was beyond an apology? You're simply not going to accept their sorry? I mean, what if Bin Laden said, I'm sorry? Or what if the maggot who got drunk and killed your kid said, I'm sorry? And Jonah believed that even if a man is forgiven, even if he repents and forgiven, there still should be consequences. Do you buy that? I know you're sorry, but you still have to pay for the damages, right? I know you're sorry, but you're still going to have to do the time. And Jonah believed that some people were just too far gone. There was a line over which a man can step after which his sins are unpardonable. There is a line that a man can cross after which no apology is believable anymore. I mean, you sin and then you say you're sorry and then you sin again and you say you're sorry again and it goes over and over and over again. Well, I don't believe you anymore, right? And Jonah believed that it if you don't accept these core values, if you don't accept this is true, then goodness just doesn't matter anymore. Holiness just doesn't matter anymore. Why be good 
if an apology can make it all right. Just do what you want. Square it with God later. I mean, I like to sin and God likes to forgive. We've got this good thing going, right? So bottom line, a God who is reckless with grace to Jonah can't be trusted. How can a God who's reckless with grace be good? So in our minds, sometimes God is not good, right? Have you ever been where Jonah is? I suspect a lot of you have. And the bottom line is, guys, if evil isn't punished, evil wins. So God may forgive you, but I never will. God may forgive you, but my standards are higher than his, we think. I mean, you can see this stuff inside of Jonah, can't you? And you can feel at least some of this stuff inside of you, I suspect, because Jonah really is like me. It's the name of this series. So when Jonah says to God, isn't that what I said, Lord, while I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious, compassionate God. I knew that you were slow to anger and abounding in love. I knew that you were a God who relents from sending calamity. So now, God, take my life because it's better for me to die than to live. I knew it, God. I knew that there are parts of you that sometimes I despise. Jonah says, I knew that you're too gracious, God. You know what grace is? It's one God gives us way, way better than we deserve. Which is what every single one of us gets from God. But sometimes there are those that we don't want to see graced. Jonah says, I knew you were compassionate, daggunit. And the Hebrew word that he uses here for compassion is a special word. It's the word raham. And it describes the love of a mother for a a baby, even when the little baby becomes a barbarian. God feels this racham for the Ninevites. And he feels that kind of racham for me and you. Jonah says, I knew that you're slow to anger, God. You're way too slow to anger sometimes, God. Way too slow. Because sometimes you have to act on your anger, don't you? We think. Flip it around. What if God instead was quick-tempered? Which one of us would stand a chance with God? Jonah says, I knew that you were abounding in love, abounding in love, abounding in love. The word used for love there is chesed, which is one of the power words of the Old Testament. This is not an emotional kind of love. This is a covenant love. This is an I choose to love you kind of love, even when I don't like you. This is an unconditional kind of love. It's not conditioned on your worthiness or your lovableness. It flows right out of God's worthiness and his faithfulness. Jonah says, I knew that you were a God who relents from sending calamity. (laughs) Well, sometimes, I mean, we think calamities are deserved. But if you start digging deeper in this, really, a God who responds? I mean, there are those who think that everything, absolutely everything is preordained. God never responds. That is not how God is described in Scripture. A God who relents, a God who changes his mind. So when I repent, 
God forgives. When I repent, God nudges me on a path towards peace instead of destruction. Jonah says, I knew all that stuff, God. I knew that you were too gracious sometimes. I knew that you were too compassionate, too slow to anger. I knew that you waste that unconditional love on those who should not receive it. I knew that you'd let them off if they responded to your warnings. And I just can't crawl over the top of that, God. There is a time for truth, not grace. God, you've gone too far. A righteous God, a holy God wouldn't behave this way. So Jonah says, I can't follow you anymore. Take away my life. It is better for me to die than to live. Holy cow. It's amazing, isn't it, how bad theology leads you into such bad places? My kind of God would never do that. I can't believe in a God who'd let the guilty go free. So instead, we replace the real God with a God of our imagination, a God of fantasy, a play God, a fairy tale God. An idol. Or we replace the real God with nothing. No God. No one to turn to. No one to trust in. No one to rescue you. No one to save you. No God who's so much bigger and better and smarter. Who sometimes blows our minds. Listen, guys. God is simply too big to fit into any box that we can build for him. And these little brains of ours are simply too small to understand the infinite transcendent God. Which is why this God following, this Jesus following, ultimately boils down to trust. Do you trust him? Will you trust him? Will you trust that he's bigger than you and better than you and smarter than you? Will you trust him when he makes sense? Will you trust him when he doesn't? Will you trust him when you agree with him? And will you trust him when you don't? Let's pray together. Father, it's so difficult to trust you. And yet that's the foundation of this relationship. You're good. You're wise. You're infinitely powerful. You've shown how much you love us. Help us to trust you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Hey guys, just one more piece. This is the last little scene in this Jonah story. It's just a tiny book, just 48 verses. But if you've been following along for the past couple of weeks, some really strong, powerful ideas in this little book. And it speaks directly to those of us who are Jesus followers in a tough time like this. So let me just kick this last part off by reading for you the last eight verses of this little book. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this, this forgiving of the Ninevites? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and he made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint 
and he wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. And then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. <laughs> then the Lord said, you feel sorry about a plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And that's it. That's the ending of the book. We have no clue from the book itself what Jonah did next, whether he got it or not. And here's the deal. This part of Jonah is really the heart of the, heart of the book. It's what the story's been building to. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is what God wants us to get, which may be why there's really no ending to this little book because it's up to you and it's up to me to write the ending. Will you get it? Will I get it? Well, here are a few of the things that we are supposed to get, supposed to understand. We serve a God who is patient, stunningly patient, thank God. And you can see it so clearly in the story. You've got these Ninevites who are kind of like Al-Qaeda on steroids. The meanest, cruelest, most ruthless, merciless, cold-blooded monsters in that world. And God gives them another chance, which is pretty cool. Because sometimes, God, guys, we think we're beyond grace. Can you reach a point, we wonder, whether we have sinned so big or sinned so often that God will refuse to give us another chance? Well, read the story. There's nothing you've ever done that'll make God love you less. And I know it doesn't fit into these little brains of ours, but we're talking about God. But it's not just God's patience with the Ninevites. How about God's patience with this prideful, belligerent, rebellious prophet, this Jonah? I mean, he refuses to do what his Lord, his God, tells him to do. Then when God twists his arms, he does do what his God wants, but he hates it. In fact, he hates it so much that he doesn't even want to do life for God, with God, God's way anymore at all. He would prefer to die. He is obsessed with the unworthiness of the Ninevites to the degree that he's blind to his own unworthiness, like we are sometimes. He's obsessed with the Ninevites getting what they deserved and blind to the grace that God was giving him. God should have crushed Jonah like a cockroach. Well, how could a man who actually sees how much grace that he has received from God, how could a, a man ever begrudge God's grace towards some other jerk sinner? But we do. Aren't you glad God is patient with us? Not just with those who haven't bent their knees to him yet. Aren't you glad he's patient with us when we who have been graced are so stingy with that grace? And we not only serve a God who's patient, we serve a God who even more mind-blowingly, we serve a God who weeps. See, a whole lot of people in Jonah's world simply couldn't get that. A whole lot of people in our world can't get that. How could God, the creator God, the absolutely transcendent God, infinitely old, infinitely powerful, infinitely holy God, actually love petty little creatures like us? 
How could the transcendent God have an actual heart attachment to people like us? And yet God says, you, Jonah, you, you feel sorry about the plant, although you did nothing to put it there. It came up quickly and it died. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in a spiritual darkness, not to mention the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry, feel sorry for those people? You weep for plants, you twit, God says. I weep for people, people that I created in my image, people who've lost their way. Now, can you grasp how weird that is, how big that is? A God who doesn't need us at all, and yet he loves us anyway. A God who is perfectly content within himself, yet wanting us to do life with him, if we let him. A God who loves us too much to blow us off, even when we are at our worst. And a God who refuses to force himself on us when we choose to shut him out. We serve a God who's patient. We serve a God who weeps. And we serve a God who is absurdly, ridiculously generous. The NLT says Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. The NIV actually translates it from the Hebrew a little more literally. 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Huh, what do you mean? They can't tell their right hand from their left. You're telling me these people don't know anything about right and wrong? You're telling me they don't know how evil they are, what monsters they are? Isn't that just a wee bit over generous, God? <laughs> Yet God's words here seem hauntingly familiar, don't they? You remember Jesus saying something ridiculously generous like that from a cross? When he says, Father, forgive them because they really don't know what they're doing. They know they're crucifying Jesus. They know they're murdering an innocent man. They're torturing, tormenting, humiliating a good man at least. Weren't the words of Jesus absurdly generous, ridiculously generous? Does that mean we have an absurdly generous God? <laughs> I sure hope so. Because if he wasn't, what chance would any of us have? And there's one more piece in this story about God. You see, we know something about God that Jonah didn't know. Because <laughs> we've seen Jesus. And if Jonah had known what we know about God, I wonder whether he would have been so stupid you see, after Jonah preached about God, he, he went outside the city to watch. He was hoping God would change his mind again and kill these Ninevites. And after Jesus preached about God, he too went outside the city. Not to watch, but to die on a cross to win the salvation of that city. In fact, to win all our salvation. And we learn that we serve a perfectly loving and a perfectly just God, grace and truth, 100% truth and 100% grace. You see, guys, God didn't just forgive their sin by blowing it off. God forgave their sin by taking the punishment on himself that they deserved. You see, guys, Jesus went to the cross for those Ninevites too. 
And he went to that cross for Jonah too. And he went to that cross for me and for you too, for all of our sins. You see, our God is a holy God. And a genuinely holy God can't just blow off sin. A genuinely holy God can't just overlook it or treat it like it doesn't matter. Guys, sin corrupts, sin destroys, sin steals the life that God wants to give those he loves. So a holy God cannot ignore it. But if God really does still love us that much, then he can't just give us what we deserve then just go merrily on his way. A loving God wouldn't let his kids die without a fight, would he? So how could God be both perfectly loving and perfectly holy? How could he be both perfect truth and perfect grace? It's Jesus. A God who loves us so perfectly that he'd die for us to pay for the sins that we couldn't afford to pay for. A God too holy to overlook our sin and too loving to give us what we deserve, truth and grace. Too holy and too loving not to send Jonah to Nineveh. Too holy and too loving not to give Jonah, Jonah one more chance repeatedly. And too holy and too loving not to allow each one of us to write the ending of this little book. Because the ending just lays there. Then <laughs> the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly, died quickly. Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And it ends. <laughs> what happens next? Did Jonah get it? Did he finally understand God's truth and grace? Did he get it? Do you get it? Perhaps this is just a wee bit speculative, guys, but I think Jonah does get it. You know why? Because we're reading the story. I guess Jonah goes and he tells on himself. How else would we know about the fish and what Jonah prayed in the fish? How else would we know about his annoyance with God, his anger at God, his disgust with God? He went home and he told the story. He told a story that makes him look really, really petty and really, really bad. The only reason I can come up with is this. He got it. Tim Keller put it like this. He says, how do we know that Jonah was so recalcitrant, defiant, and clueless? How do we know that Jonah made that unbelievable, I hate the God of love speech? How do we know about his prayer inside of the fish? The only way we could possibly know these things is if Jonah told others. What kind of man would let the world see what a fool he was? Only someone who had become genuinely secure in God's love. Only someone who believed that he was simultaneously sinful but completely accepted. In short, someone who has found in the gospel of grace the very power of God. And guys, if it can change Jonah, it can change anyone. It can change you. You get it? Truth and grace. A God who is holy and a God who is love. 100% truth, 100% grace. Have you responded to our amazing God. 
Guys, I'm going to lead in a kind of a guided time of prayer. This is not just me praying to God. I'm trying to pray with all of us, trying to lead us all in a time where we just get quiet with our God. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, it's an amazing story, and in so many ways, it is our story. And you tried to teach this hard-headed man about your amazing grace. Father, I just pray that you give us the wisdom to let it transform each one of us. I just ask all of you who are praying with me just to take just a moment and thank him for his grace. And take just a moment and pray that you'll stand tall as a Jesus follower. And if there are those who are listening, watching, and you felt God's nudge, will you take the time right now with God to ask him for that grace to just to pour out and lavish over you? And if that's the choice that you're making today, would you just send us a text, email, give us a call, and let us talk with you so we can get you started solidly on this path of a life with God, for God, God's way. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.